Hey everyone, and welcome to the House Conspiracy Podcast, a show about the house and on the house. I'm Jonathan O'Brien, I'm the still very sleepy founding creative director at House Conspiracy. Today I'm speaking with Caitlin Armstrong, professional theatrical delight. We recorded this podcast a couple days ago on a half cold and sleepy morning, probably the first half cold morning we've had in Brisbane this year, and we managed to boil up a cup of tea, one each, and we still managed to pretty articulate conversation about games, play, childhood, and and the different ways of uh, framing theatre, for framing action and framing intent. This is a special interview, actually, this one. I know I I I sound sleepy talking about it, but um, only because all my energy's been used up uh, being so excited about this interview. Um, That sounds corny, but I learned a lot, and I think you will too. Anyway, here's some housekeeping. You can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're on iTunes, you could maybe give us a rating or a review. That'd be wild. Um, They really help. Once we get a nice little set of stars next to our podcast, we'll be able to promote it a lot better um, among the arts networks of Brisbane and Australia. Um, Also, speaking about networks, social networks, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at House Conspiracy. And you can visit our website to see how we can support you at houseconspiracy.org. If you want to support us in other ways, you can head to houseconspiracy.org slash donate or slash volunteer, or you can email us at house at houseconspiracy.org. But now, on to the sleepy show. Caitlin's studio is awesome. There's a Thai bed on the floor which she uses for naps when she's in and no one else is. And there are notes galore on a chalkboard door and walls, a timeline of notes that read, immerse, enroll, engage, challenge, evoke. With all sorts of ideas branching off each one, a tree of phrases underneath her show's title, Nomad, on the wall. Yesterday, Caitlin spent four hours rolling balls over the floor of the house where the wood bends in on itself. She described to me, not on this podcast but before it, the way the balls would roll back toward each other, find each other, creep through doorways. Today, she's brought in a sewing machine with which to make a costume. In this work, centered around comfort and nonverbal connectedness, Caitlin dresses as a moth. Anyway, here she is. Um, so spontaneous moments, spontaneous actions. You're working currently in clowning yeah. and nonverbal communication. Yeah. How's that? Oh, it's great. It's really great. I'm really, I'm like, uh, I'm quite lonely though. I feel like there's this thing I got really interested in a couple of years ago called the 52 megahertz whale. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this whale, they're doing a documentary about it apparently, but I still haven't heard anything about it that um, communicates on a different frequency to all of the other whales. So he's just kind of out there singing his whale song like, ooh, And no one can hear him. So he doesn't have a family, doesn't have a point. And that's sometimes how I feel when I'm like in, in a place trying to do a thing, trying to work out how to communicate with people in a medium when there's nobody else here. Mm. It's sort of right, like, like when you're literally in the house. When I'm literally just here by myself, which I have been quite a lot. Um, so I've been doing lots of lots of writing and lots of listening to things and lots of um, rolling around and playing by myself um, and just being silent to get comfortable with the idea of silence because it's really easy to 
at the last second if you're trying to communicate something with someone go to reliant on gesture or knowing that you can fall back on this idea like that, that there is a language you can use so what is the language that you use with things that you can't speak to uh, it's very so with your process of nonverbal communication are you are you going to use gesture are you going to use those fallbacks or are you trying to are you trying to tap into something else i've got some rules that i'm trying to, well i'm trying to tap into yeah something something else like what is it without using you can use gesture mm-hmm. but not descriptive gesture not mime that is like i'm i'm just essentially using words without words to talk to you um so simple motions like like come here or something to beckon someone that's sort of a universal thing like i could take that to another place and have the intention behind my hands that's look how great is that the descriptive a visual thing on a podcast for me to show you yeah no it's fine um but in terms of like you know i want a cup of tea or like i need to a book and using these sort of miming gestures and descriptive gestures the idea to stay away from things that are physical or to, to map out what I want someone to understand because half of the, the, the intent is that audiences or participants or people that you're with um, do need to be able to discern whatever they need to take from that mm-hmm. thing or want to take or have an interest in taking rather than me giving them something prescriptive. It's got to be invitational you can play with me um, and you can take this from that if you want to if you are there but there's you can't force someone to play play has to be spontaneous and so I guess in in the same way as speaking to someone is descriptive and didactic and using gesture can be quite didactic it's it's a very liminal space it's very free to just interpret and make spontaneous discoveries with people that may not necessarily be enrolled trained or focused at that moment to make a spontaneous play because mm, that's that's written on your your door right is um you can't force someone to play your games those you do force will undo them yeah yeah there's this um really interesting concept about um games and cheating so like in the world of the game there's established rules and play occurs in a space that is designated for that play so generally, if you're playing chess, you're playing it on a chessboard. Yep. And that chessboard has rules that these pieces can do certain things, mm-hmm. and you know that. So it's like a contextualization. Yeah. And even in imaginative play, when children play, they have a scope for their play. They know where the boundaries are. They know if they're playing house, it is in this setting. And these are the rules. They will put rules on it. Um, the uh, same as uh, actors and, and mimicry and play. So there's these different categories of games. There's um, competition, chance, mimicry, and uh, like, oh, what's the word? It's like inertia, games of uh, disequilibrium. Mm-hmm. So uh, competitive games, you are pitting your skill against somebody else or another factor to try to determine who is superior in that in that arena. Yeah, in that context. Yeah, so you have a field for that and you have rules for that, whatever that game is, if it's chess or soccer or whatever. Um, and everybody plays by those rules. And generally, things are equaled out to be fair so that you can just determine a winner. Um, then in games of chance, uh, dice and um, roulette and things like that, you sort of 
um, you stake not any skill that you have, but rather an equal wager against someone else of like, I will bet this much versus you betting this much on this game of chance mm-hmm. so that we're still equal. And we have these rules around it and we know all these things. Um, and in mimicry, obviously that's that's adopting role and role playing, which is sort of more, that's where I'm going into. Um, and games of disequilibrium, which is spinning around as fast as you can and then trying to walk in a straight line. And it's just about sort of disrupting the body and getting this feeling of like bubbly energy that is play. It's like, whoa. But it's all for just, just for fun. And as soon as you take it into an arena that is like this is a competitive, this is a, uh, a profession, it removes play because play has to be an agency of freedom. Um, uh, and cheating comes in people get upset with people cheating in games Mm -hmm. because they um, subvert the rules or they they do something but they are still playing the game because they're respecting the rules and they're respecting the arena that the game is in if someone comes in and just goes chess and tips the, the pieces over they're not cheating but they're just not playing the game and yeah. they're undermining the game and then it can no longer be conducted. So if you force someone to play with you, they won't respect the game and the play can no longer be free and you can't elicit anything real or playful from them because it becomes a chore. So you have to enroll people and, and conduct that in a way that allows them... Agency? Agency and desire. Mm. You've yeah. got to make someone want to do That's something right. for them to do it do well. That's right. And if they don't want to do it, cool. Do, do what you want to do. Because I can't, I'm not, I think I can't make someone feel something by just being like, feel it. Just feel it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so sniffy. No, that's okay. Um, your project is called Nomad. Mm. Um, now that I guess we've talked about the context around it, tell, tell us about what is Nomad? Is what are you doing? Um, originally, oh, most of my ideas come from pun names. And the first thing I thought of was like, wouldn't it be amazing if you had a transient show about a clown that wasn't allowed to get angry? And you could call it Nomad. <laughs> 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 Which is like, it's just not a sustainable way to create work. Um, I did the same thing a couple of years ago with a show called The Show Must Goon because I accidentally mm. ran all the letters in together for The Show Must Go On and I was like, oh, what about a comedy wine tasting? Um, and it happened and it was fun, but it isn't a sustainable way to create things. Um, but the other thing that I tend to do is come up with a pun name and then immediately submit it to something. So I did that, which is why this is having a test run later in the year with the Anime Theatre Festival. But I have um, finally, I feel, come into an age where just relying on pun names isn't enough. But the idea of the nomad, I think is really interesting. It's just like um, somebody who doesn't have roots. And I think that's really problematic in Western culture because we don't really have roots. We can, we can trace back our ancestry and can do this thing, but we don't have a strong culture. And we oppress everybody who does. Um, but we've got few true rituals or places that we can come back to that we can say is part of that because we're so interbred I guess do you find that particularly true for Australia oh yeah we've got nothing and and our First Nations people we've 
we've wiped their history from schools and we've um, forgotten their languages and we've tarnished them and branded them and it's like yeah it's, it's, it's racism and stereotyping um, and I think it comes from like like a lot of things when when people bully it comes from insecurity because we don't have anything of our own really um, it's like a boganism with insects yeah which I've already done a show about, so, you know. <laughs> You've already tapped into the, the bastions yeah. of Australian culture. Um, yeah, I do think that's really, like, a really interesting thing to consider. But Nomad in this context is sort of looking for what our, what our common root is, what everyone's common root is, mm-hmm. and what I have landed on is um, in childhood and in play, which naturally is part of childhood which we lose when we try to find our own identities as we grow up why do you think that is why do you what 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 form maybe what for you was did you notice losing did you notice losing that sort of sense of play like you're still doing it yeah i know but that's in as i said before it's like it becomes a profession and then it loses its true um playfulness so I don't really know if I'm playing at all when I'm making work. And I often say to people like, oh, I'd love to come in and have a play. Um, but the, the focus is on generating something and, and play generally has no material, tangible outcome. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm actually just a giant moving by. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think what I noticed, I've, I've had beautiful interactions with people who have, had, who have much more clarity on this than I do. Um, and they have worked with children for a long time and I do too but these people are people that I've drawn from is that um, a wonderful storyteller and clown in the Brisbane community uh, Tim Malouli um, said once in talking about children and education is we spend so long trying to cultivate imagination in children um, and giving them imaginative outlets in which to play. And we, spend, we place so much importance on growing imagination in our children. It's on Fisher Price ads. It's everywhere. Um, let their imaginations grow and lower. And then you get to a certain age and you go like, okay, well now you have to be sensible and you've got to think about what you're going to do. And play and imagination goes out the window. And I think that's why we have a lot of really sad or really confused people or people who have trouble interacting, and I do too, is because of somewhere along the way we've just put a stopper in free play and things that don't have outcomes are different ways to spend our time other than driving towards something. Other ways you like to spend your time? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm a shit example of this because I do shit things. I like to... Um, I like to go for walks with music in my ears, which also I find really problematic because I, I want to be able to like, absorb the world and that and that. But um, I really like listening to uh, music without words and, mm-hmm. and going for walks and looking at things and um, picking up, I think, detail and minutia is both one of my greatest strengths. This is my resume. One of my greatest strengths and one of my weaknesses because Uh I will fixate on a a tiny thing and how magic and incredible that thing is in itself, like like a special leaf or a little rock or a shell and something, just how 
incredible that thing is um, or how I can roll um, cedar balls along the ground and that there are some points in this house where there are risers in the floor and there are some points on the sphere that aren't perfect so it causes it to move on its own once you let it go um, or how you can eat an orange in the shower and like you don't get sticky anymore and, and these things in minutiae that are incredible um, and then before you know it like four hours have gone past or you just you haven't done anything you're supposed to do because you've been looking at leaves <laughs> so but, that, but it's valuable like it, you think it's valuable I, I think it's valuable I think it's valuable for me and I don't think I do it enough and I don't think I, I empower it enough in myself or maybe even in others because there's that like gnawing drive to just spend your time doing something worthwhile. And it's really hard to, to show someone to express an incredibly magic thing that might only be magic to you because you've spent four hours staring at it and then your brain's created all these different synapses and gone on stories. And then when you try and show it to someone else and it doesn't do it perfectly. It's like when a kid's like, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And then they do the thing and it's a bit shit. And they're like, oh, it didn't, it, it, oh, why won't it do it when I want you to look at it? Mm -hmm. That's, I think it's finding those things that won't do it for everyone else. Hmm. But they do it for you. How does that translate to practice? Like, because <clears throat> I, know, I know like uh, you're very big on sort of the show being optional because it, it has to be for yeah. it to be successful. Yeah. How, does, how do you make something that's special for someone specific who you don't know? Yeah, it's like, how? How do you do that? I don't know, I'm asking you. Yeah, I don't know. That's why you're here. Um, I think, yeah, that's why I'm here. I think if you give something enough, if you imbue something with enough of your own interest, it has the power to be interesting in general. Mm. Um, it's the same as if you give enough time to a person you empower that person to to be to have interest or to feel where I don't know I I don't know how do you do it I think it's it's about finding things with people and being really um, uh, aware of being responsive to that person as well because you can try this is like you can play with someone and if they're not getting it it might be for them but can you facilitate something that is for them. Um, and in a show, can you make something that is fleeting enough to hold somebody's attention um, and open enough that they can leave, but powerful enough that they might want to stay? And can you do it with lots of people? Can you do it with one person? And can you plan it? Because I don't know if you can. Is it about I, having a toolbox? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I... I think I've got it. Or I think I've got some tools. I don't have the full like Makita set of screwdrivers of doing this, but I might have an Allen key. This, which... this podcast sponsored by Makita. It was <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly just the first tool name that I thought of. Um, yeah. Look. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. have an answer. No, yeah, I guess you can't know until you experiment, which is 
what you're going to be doing next Friday. Yeah. Find out what it's like. Yeah. And then also at anywhere. Um, I want to transition a little. um, Mm. Because you you talk a lot about sort of childhood and your childhood and growing up. Now you Mm. studied theatre. You've been a theatre person for a long time, but... Does that sort of go back to your youth? Like, what was it like growing up? What, oh, what got man. you here? Oh, wow. I, oh, look, like, I think every single person in the arts probably has the same story. It was like, I had one teacher, I had this and that. I wanted to be a vet when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. I was yeah. so set on being a vet. And I worked at a cattery for nine years. I loved cats. I've got the worst tattoo on my body because I love cats. Where is it? What is it? It's on my hip. It's okay. so crap. <laughs> I was 17 years old and my friend from uni was doing tattoos. I was like, yeah, I'll get a tattoo. And she uh, put the stencil on and it slipped. And she's like, I'll wing it. And I was like, yeah, sounds great. <laughs> Don't do it. It's worse. I've got like a little, it looks like a spiky bowling ball, but it's supposed to be a cat's face. <laughs> it's the international symbol of regret. Anyway. Um, yeah, I wanted to be a vet. And then... I did I did heaps of theatrical stuff when I was a kid. I didn't have any um, siblings, and it was mostly just me and mum. And my mum was amazing. Um, she's really playful and really weird as well. Um, but I was like I was pretty lonely, I guess. Loneliness is a big theme, and finding kin. Um, so I'd play a lot by myself um, with toys and make stories and things like that. And then through primary school, I had some incredibly supportive teachers who would see that maybe just trying to channel my uh, loneliness or channel my um, drive or something. I'm quite determined as a person um, into something that was probably just away from them. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and sent me off to do Tournament of Minds and and lots of things like that as a kid. Um, and then into high school. And I guess the crux point came when I had to choose in high school. Biology and drama were on the same subject line and I had to pick. And I picked biology to begin with because everyone said that I should um, and that would be sensible. And then um, I just felt sad, like really sad. So I phoned up and got it changed. And no one questioned it really. Um, and that's what I kind of did. And then everything became about arts and drive. And I, I sort of just dove down that line for till now. Hmm. Yeah. So it's just sort of, uh, yeah, figuring figuring it out as you go. Yeah. 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 Do you feel you made the right choice? Should you still be oh, at the no. category? No, no. <laughs> he was so good he was this incredible Scottish man and he played Dolly Parton throughout the whole thing for nine years I know all the Dolly Parton songs um no no of course of course I made the right choice but I would have made the right choice in whatever I'd chosen because if your spirit is there then what how can it be wrong and we've got 80 odd years me probably like 60 because all the women in my family die really young um I'm just riding this train hard and fast into the station um, but yeah, if you've got, if you've got that amount of time, just spend it being joyful and spend it trying to find like tiny magic moments of inertia and little details on leaves and things. And I would have found that if I'd done biology, I would have found incredible intricacies because it's about the way your brain is wired, mm. what you find interesting. I'm lucky that I find interest in this enough to propel me to stake 
a lot of what I do on it. But I find interest in many things, just not enough to, to hold me there, to make it a profession. Yeah. 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 So, so you feel, you feel that your, your luck comes from, not, well, not luck, but your, your, your position <laughs> comes from the way your brain is wired. And, yeah. And you find joy, you find joy in things and you, you're the person to construct this sort of play stuff and you'd be doing it regardless of the field, just in different ways. I think ways. so. I think playful people are playful. And I think, I think everybody is playful. People play with themselves. <laughs> Go on. Um, <laughs> and uh, people play with their partners and they're with their children and with their surroundings all the time, but maybe just not in a, um, like a particularly exertive is that a word like a like a particularly like a wild way or a free way mm-hmm. or maybe it's more restrained or maybe they don't hold as much stock in it as I do um, but I think people are playful and there is you're certainly able to elicit play from everyone we're all children and I think that's where our the point of the, the exercise comes from is tapping back into what we all have as a commonality and that is that we once were all children and in some respect, we all played. Mm. And can we do it now? And if not, why not? And why can't I help you if I can? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so you do. You're really, you're really a community servant. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'll probably elicit some horrible amount of turmoil. I'll probably unlock something awful in somebody or in myself. It's gonna get real <laughs> Freudian in this show. Totally. Um. Have you, because you do a lot of research um, going to your shows, that's one of the things that has really impressed me about your process is like, you're just like, I just, I read eight papers. <laughs> I did, but I did. Yeah, like I read an article and then I write stuff down and then I examine that. It's like the leaf thing. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I read. Um, and I, ex- I experience things with people. I'm very lucky to have um, opportunities always to work with um incredible people both like in the industry mm. the high industry um see isn't that an ugly word that like this is an industry it makes me think of a big machine that we just kind of like a wood chipper that we chuck stuff into and we just jam it all up um people around that do the things similar to what i do sure and also i have a lot of children around me and they are just awesome kids are, and some of them crap no nah, they're all great um <laughs> Which one's true? <laughs> um, I don't know. Both. Both are true. Um, kids are at the same time. Crap and incredible. Yeah. I'm crap and incredible. Yeah, we're all crap and incredible. Yeah, um, we're all crap and incredible. It's part of the criteria of how we choose. <laughs> so, um, I was going to ask, though, uh, sort of leading on from the uh, research question is, have yeah. you done much research into... Because I've heard all sorts of different things and haven't researched it myself. So this is like a very poor question if neither of us have the answer. Um, but have you researched much into like childhood historically versus like in the 20th century and the 19th century? I actually haven't. That's a very interesting thing to do. Um, in, in finding childhood, like, that's, that's some research maybe I'll go and do today. Thanks. No worries. Um, but in finding childhood and finding a common childhood, I think it's really important not just to examine what I know of childhood because mm. what I know of childhood is vastly different to another white 24-year-old woman and what they know of childhood because they might have had six siblings whereas I had none. Or they might have had two parents constantly around whereas I didn't. 
Um, and it would be vastly different again to someone who grew up in Victoria versus where I grew up on the Gold Coast or someone who grew up in another country um, from another culture with another system of beliefs and rituals and those things around. So what is the commonality of childhood versus of my childhood mm. and your childhood? Because we could probably unite on many things and yeah, yeah, be completely fine. alien to someone else. So what I have looked at is um, that incredible series of photographs of um, children's bedrooms around the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, yeah. it's so evocative. Like, Because there is a commonality. Yeah. You can see a prized possession in all of those things and you can see an order and you can see even if I can't see a single thing in that photograph that resembles anything that is true in my life, I can see the system or I can see that child being in there and how they exist in that space and how it's theirs. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So I've, I've done quite a, like, um, a bit of investigating into that, differences of childhood but I haven't looked at what it is like through the ages. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's not super relevant to the show given that your audience are all alive. Um, yeah, but... But I think it could be really interesting because I know, like, you know, in the 1700s, 1800s, especially, like, in, in Britain, uh, kids just went and worked in factories. Yeah. Like, and that's in the West. Yeah. You know, and that's still the case, you know, in large, large amounts of the East. Yeah. And sort of the... The third world, as it were. That's it. The um, children that um, are, you know, implicit in creating a lot of the um, wonderful luxuries that we have in the West, mm. and that they their childhood is vastly different to ours. Um, and children who don't have access to education or to drinking water, or those those things that are very basic to us. So while play. Um, for us might be different in the tools that we use for it in like our Western sense um, because we've had those things afforded to us. We haven't had to look for basic necessities like Maslow's hierarchy of needs was yeah. something I was looking at as well. Um, How do you feel about that? Oh, I think they, they're, the lines in the pyramid don't exist. I think that those things um, flow around. Yeah. I, yeah, I think the hierarchy is a little out of order. Yeah. Um, yeah, or they're, they're not separate you can't just like obtain one it's not like walking up some mm. stairs yeah. and then you get to the top stair they're so dependent on um, some things you can't obtain down the bottom without putting things up the top um, yeah the same as children yeah the tools that we have access to for play in western childhood because we don't have to, to fetch clean drinking water um, well I didn't um thankfully a different but play still exists for the children who have those other obstacles mm. fundamental obstacles it sounds like it's a little hurdle but um i don't want to underplay that at all but play does still exist yes. for them. yeah and so. then yeah you know as like privileged perspective as it is you see it when you travel to those areas yeah. Um, I know I know you haven't Perfect. left the country, but sort of um, yeah, in my time in Southeast Asia, like, man, there are some there are some real talented soccer players hiding in the streets of mountain villages in yeah. um, in Vietnam. <laughs> like they've got it and they're they're working for their parents all the time because you see them leaving the store 
and going out and kicking the soccer ball for four hours. Like, it's all there. Yeah. I think. It's all there. Um, the, the ways we access it are different, but the, the very vital thing of play, the very base element of play is there um, and of interest in that, that thing, the minutiae, which is different for every person. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Scope. Scope. <laughs> scope and scale. Yeah. Through the ages. Scope and scale. Um, so your show is called Nomad. It is. And you're going to be performing at, at the showcase this coming Friday and then at anywhere? Yes. Like the show in, in um, air quotes. Yes, to super air quotes. The, the experience? Experiment? The performance, the collaboration. I like that word a lot. Collaboration. The, the and I wanted to say the play, but I feel like that connotes a very like scripted right. thing. Yeah, 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 but yeah. truly, in the most true sense of the word, that's the way I think of it, is the play we will conduct together will be occurring at this. What if you called it the play? See, that's a pun name. No, man, already. <laughs> got its roots, its etymology is in a pun. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but then I wouldn't follow. I can't just do pun shows. <laughs> <I> can't. <laughs> um, yes, I will be. I will be playing with people uh, on the eighteenth of this. Seventeenth. I've lost a day. We play with people uh, next Friday, um, and I will also be playing with people out of the back of an old red panel van, providing. It runs. It will. Um, f- during the Anywhere Theatre Festival, but you can't book for it. It's just going to turn up to places. That's the true nature of the experiment is that you're never going to be able to know where it is. I'll really catch people off guard. The people who want to play the most won't be able to. That's the worst thing. <laughs> right, because no one's going to be seeking it out. Well, but they might. Yeah, it's going to turn up to people's shows before... Yeah their show happens and it's like 15 minutes it's like a little experience and then you'll go off and do the things that you're going to do it's an interruption basically um but yeah it's not ticketed um and it's not scheduled do you think that that's more powerful um surprising people like not non-consensual but like non-prepared artistic experiences yeah i like i guess that's the that was the idea of this experiment i don't know if it's necessarily more powerful because i think you can uh create incredibly powerful things with people who are yeah sorry yeah like ready and willing and um raring to go but the idea of what i'd like to do is um remove the formality of it and say like you've got to be in the right headspace to do this before we can do it because that's yeah if people it's just sort of eliciting play um and that's why it's got to be optional because there will be people that don't want to do it at that time of day they're not going to be in the right place but i might catch someone who is wasn't planning it but is there and that'll be really nice yeah super nice yeah really great as opposed to people who are like prepared to play i feel like that puts a really um a forced idea on what they have to do or and then it goes back to that expectation yeah sort of and what's the material outcome, outcome and what's yeah. our transaction here and what do I get what do you get and what do I have to give you and how do I do that um, yeah it's just got to be really gentle and I think that's the most the most gentle way that I can think of doing it is just going like shall we 
Thanks for listening to the House Conspiracy podcast recorded at House Conspiracy. If you have feedback or you want to say hi or if there's something you'd like to see us do, you can email us at house at houseconspiracy.org and you can email me directly about ideas for future podcasts at jonathan at houseconspiracy.org. You can also support us by becoming a member or by donating to us at houseconspiracy.org slash donate. See you next time.